Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, I talk to my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV, in movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? It's good to stay up to date. That's why you listen to all of your favorite Ringer podcasts, right? And that's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps, Assistant, and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with a Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Nissan Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy, and they call it sparked energy. Are you a spontaneous spirit who likes bringing a high-octane feel to the group chat? Grab a Berry Burst Sparked Energy. Love bringing that upbeat comedy vibe wherever you go? Turn the fun up to 11 with their peach sunshine flavor. Whatever your energy, Duncan's here to match it with a revitalizing burst of caffeine and full-on fruit flavors. Even better, a medium sparked energy is $3 now through March 19th. Drop by and get sparked by Duncan. Sparked energy drinks are fruit flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Oh, right. But you find using us as your spies and your errand boys, as long as it's on your terms. The host gets to set the terms of the visitation. What happens when the host disappears? Huh? Because you were gone. And I didn't think you were coming back. I really didn't. And you know what? Even when you did come back, there was no talking to you about anything real. Your boots barely hit earth. And oh, it's too heavy here, man. I gotta go up to my space station. You've been up there for years. You knew how to get in touch with me, Talos. And you didn't because you didn't want me to know. And welcome into the Ringerverse here on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, and it is my absolute pleasure to invite you not only back to London, but also to join us on the Ringer's Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. Joining me today, now that she's finished telling me I'm old, Vapors. Have you ever said that to me, Joe? I've, that I'm just vapors I've, old? Have you said it about me? I would never. Also, I'm older <laughs> than you are. It's my house of our working title. Title. <laughs> Joanna Robinson. I forgot to say co-host. I'm a mess here in the studio. Well, what you didn't hear is that before we started this podcast, Mallory screamed at me <laughs> that the host gets to set the terms of the visitation. So I'm here, <laughs> but your humble, scrolly guest. Uh, to uh, break down Secret Invasion, episode two. Episode two, Joe, that's right. Uh, you keep your word and we'll keep ours. But before we get to that, the word keep in the episode two, deep dive all of it, we have, of course, our usual programming reminders. Here they are for the next few days in the Ringerverse. Friday. What time on Friday? Who can say? Friday. <laughs> it's a house of midnight team up. Van, Joanna, 
Mallory, we'll all be together. <laughs> Should I start speaking in the yes, third person? always. Now that I'm in the studio, yes. just develop a different persona. Yes. <laughs> studio Mal. We are going to be talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, a movie that the three of us genuinely really enjoyed and loved and can't wait to talk about together. And we have a special guest for the pod, Joe. Oh, who is it, you may ask? Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to tell you. <laughs> it is none other than the director of Logan and also the director of Indiana Jones and the Doyle of Destiny. It is James Mangold. So we're thrilled. Fantastic. A genius, an absolute legend uh, on the pod. And Mallory and I had a great chat with him. So it was so fun. Yeah. Fantastic. Should I just start saying fantastic like uh, the ninth doctor? Yep. Please. After after every sentence. Brilliant. Really workshopping like a new energy today. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Wow. <laughs> uh, you're, my, you're my current uh, nomination for Secret Scroll. <laughs> Studio Mallory. You know, I meant to text you after we finished last week because you had said that the tell would be if I didn't take a bathroom break during a recording. And then I did not take a bathroom break I during that took recording. Note. And I want to know if you alerted anybody else on the team that we might have an imposter situation. Yeah, Steve has like a really scary set of clippers just under the table Is and that, he's ready yeah, to snip that, your finger I keep my off? fingers yeah. <laughs> out, of, out of reach of Steve. Yeah. Oh, and if you boy. see okay, well, a syringe with some blue yeah. liquid in it, <laughs> Don't I've worry blocked about the it. escape hatch, so if he cuts off any of my my digits, he will not Don't be able to flee worry and about uh, it. reference crime and punishment. So there's that, at least. What else do we have cooking? We've got more, folks. We've got more this weekend. Jessica Clemens will have another video pod. You will be able to watch it on Spotify. You'll be able to watch it on YouTube. It's going to be an Easter egg breakdown of this episode of Secret Invasion. Then, Monday, the Mint Edition crew will be chatting about a television show that I have never seen a single second of. The Witcher. Joanna's a Witcher enthusiast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is Henry Cavill's uh, goodbye tour. So There you, you know. go. Yeah. The Witcher, uh, season three, part one. Fantastic. Great. Netflix. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> Cannot wait for that pod. And then Secret Invasion episode three later in the week. So the pod is popping. Joanna. How can the people follow all of that? Oh my gosh, I'm so delighted that you asked me, even if you are a scroll. You can follow us on all <laughs> social media at The Ringerverse, right? So Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram, mm-hmm. Mallory's beloved Peach. Do you love Peach, Mallory, or are you a scroll? You know? That's I, another yeah, I love Peach, but if I were a scroll, that would be like one of the top five bullet points. 100%. Make sure to mention your catalog. Yeah. Randomly <laughs> nod to the long-time <laughs> defunct social media platform, Peach. Oh, wait, wait, can you— Say something about Brooks Robinson's 16 consecutive gold gloves, can, and you're pretty much good to can go. Can you pronounce the, like, the nickname for the Baltimore team right now? <laughs> the Orioles? The you went down to the ocean hunt to watch the A's? There you are. It's surreal you. Okay. No scroll <laughs> could possibly emulate that accent. All right. So as I mentioned, follow us on all social media. Email uh, us. Mm-hmm. Hobbitsanddragons mm-hmm. at gmail.com. And I just want to let you know, Mallory, that people are now yeah. just citing their emails yeah. with their preferred Apple. Like, we got several emails that are, like, yeah. essentially XOXO, Honeycrisp, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. Someone signed their email 
their name, Hunter, their pronouns, he, him, and then just Honeycrisp Envy Gala. And I'm considering that like part of the pronouns. It's like he, him, Honeycrisp Envy Gala. Like that's, that's great stuff. Um, This is how I'm going to start signing all of my text messages to you. That's going to take up a lot Constantly. of space. I feel like your your laziness will supersede the your it's just gonna commitment be to the bit. A picture. It's like going to be one thirty in the morning, yeah. and I'll send you a picture of my TV, which will be showing some Harrison Ford movie. So our usual one thirty texting. To be clear, <laughs> nothing's different so far. And then at the end, I will sign it. XOXO, Pink Lady. 85% of the photos that, no, that's not true because definitely Halo is 50%. So it's like 50% yeah, photos of Halo, yeah. 50% photos of Mallory's TV of something she's watching. Or maybe it's a video of her TV <laughs> of something she's watching. And she's like, get a load of, load of this dialogue from Yellowstone, Joanna. And then you just hear yeah. like Mallory cackling mm-hmm. in the background. Um, yeah. Have um, scrolls figured out screenshots? Because I guess that would be another that's way. Another Do they tell. just take pictures of their TVs instead of using screenshots? What's my, what's my, that would be another test. What's my top? scroll tell boy i think it has maybe something to do with your beverage routine you know the number of and flavor variants of the lacroix on your table at any given moment i'm currently rocking waterloo. two strawberry okay, you're a, yeah you're a waterloo yeah. head uh no caffeine after a certain point in the day right. um steve what else okay what else would be joe's tell i think whether or not bug takes off your headphones <laughs> in the middle of the recording is something we should watch out for because I feel like animals, like, they know, they can sense it, right? Yeah, maybe the, the humans that, may not have figured out a detection technique, but I know Bug would be able to sniff this out Maybe the fact that my cat is nowhere to be found is, like, a good indication. She's, like, cowering under the bed because she's like, that's not a real human. All right. The other thing I want to say under email category of my intro here is to say that we got an email from, I have to assume... This person's name is either Gab or Gabe. It's Gabe without an E, though. So thanks, Steve. Gab. Anyway, <laughs> this person says, sorry to say, but I'm firmly team Honeycrisp Gala Pink Lady. But uh-huh. truly, my favorite way to consume an apple is a crisp, hard cider. I live in the Hudson Valley. So okay. H- Hudson Valley, cider. beautiful mm-hmm. slice of the country, Hudson Valley. Um, sure. I once went on an apple cider tasting like tour, like a wine tasting tour, but it was apple cider in like Fantastic. in around the Hudson Valley. Yeah. Do you, Fantastic. do you have an apple cider, hard cider brand that you would like to uh, shout out without Ooh. getting any money from them whatsoever? What's what free advertising do you oh, want to give today? I do. Thank you for asking STEM. Are you familiar with STEM hard cider? No. I believe this is a Denver based cider, which I know because I have tried to, order this. You know, I love to order things to be shipped to me so that I can continue to consume them in the comfort of my own uh, living room. And they have uh, not only a a very nice, dry, crisp apple cider, but a lot of uh, of variants. Multiversal variants? Who can say? We're a big fan of the raspberry cider variant in our household. So, STEM, that's my answer. How about you, Joe? Um, I want to shout out Sonoma Cider. Um, a cider is in Sebastopol where I used to live, but Sonoma cider, which I think is based in Santa Rosa or something like that, has a cider called the crowbar, which is a habanero hard cider and absolutely delicious. I just got Steve's Are attention. Are you a big, yeah. a big spice enthusiast, a big like pepper enthusiast? Not like in general, but I love alcohol that is like habanero or jalapeno yeah. spiced. Yes. Mm. 
Yeah. yeah. I love a spicy, a spicy, boozy drink yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. So now that we spent 30 minutes or whatever on our, on talking our about nothing. Yes. <laughs> so far. <laughs> I think I, I may or may not have said follow the pod, but listen, follow <gasps> the pod. And that, that yeah. way you can get all the Mint Edition, yeah. Midnight Boys, uh, whatever Jess <laughs> is incredibly producing, and House of R every week in your feed. Great stuff. Ring reverse. Follow us. What else, Mallory? Last thing to say at the top is, uh, spoiler warning. It's the friendly neighborhood spoiler warning, but it is a warning. So you have been warned or you're about to be warned that we will discuss today promises the second episode of Secret Invasion. Joe, anytime there's a promise, promise me Ned. (laughs) I guess, boy, start to get anxious. Obviously, the entire MCU run to date is fair game today. Marvel Comics canon is fair game today. You don't just hop to when summoned, but you have been warned, so proceed with caution. All right, let's get into it. Before we get into the deep dive, before we go through every scene of the episode, let's start, as always, with our opening snapshot. Joanna Robinson, what did you think of episode two of Secret Invasion Promises? I thought episode two was a marked improvement uh, over episode one. There were like a, I'd say I would pull out three to maybe 3.5 scenes that I thought were extraordinary. Um, I still think there, I still have notes, but I'm glad we're on a slight upward trajectory from episode one. And this is something that we had sort of like hoped for. You had pointed out that usually Marvel Disney Plus shows sort of like fall off a cliff at the end, but we were hoping maybe this is like a reverse and we're starting at the bottom. We're going to just going to like ascend to great heights in this, uh, in this show because that's what we want. So yeah, that's my that's my snapshot of episode two. How about you? Yeah, I I also thought it was a more successful episode than the first, though still uneven and still lacking yeah. in in certain respects. I really, really, really enjoyed the graphic scenes in this episode. I thought that they were com- completely 100%. riveting. Yeah, and uh, it, it continues to be true that every every second we get to spend with Olivia Coleman is a a gift from from the Marvel gods. There are a couple scenes in the episode that we'll we'll talk about as as we go where. Some of the questions that we have, even though these are very, 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 very different shows, it made me think a little bit of the discussions that we were having on Prestige TV about Yellow Jackets, Joe, with the question of, like, unreliable narrators and when do the scales tip too far into pulling you out of the experience as a viewer. I think, like, the challenge of sparking paranoia and getting us to ask about a lot of different characters. Might this be a scroll, or might they have a hidden agenda, or might they be poised to betray somebody, or if they have betrayed somebody, is it really going to be a, uh, oh, I'm not a double agent, I'm a triple agent kind of reveal in time? You're definitionally supposed to be unsure, literally, of who people are, of what their intentions are, and that's part of the appeal and part of the proposition but in some scenes when the questions that you ask are just literally like, why would a character behave this way? Would the entire world suddenly be like, yeah, Russia? Like things like that just really pull, are pulling me out of the episode. I think, And yeah. I think it's just skewing a little too far into like what is a flaw in the storytelling, right? And the scripting. And what is part of that we need to keep you unsure I think that, and uncomfortable. I think the part of the story that's being hurt the most by that is our fourth build character actor, Guy Amelia Clark. I think there is like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think some mistakes are being made in terms of trying to 
keep us guessing about her allegiance or her agenda. But then like, then I just don't feel like I have a grasp on the character at all. And I'm having trouble caring. You know what I mean? Um, Mm I'm really interested to talk about some of the uh, like uh, some of the stuff that Kingsley Benadire has said about Gravik, uh, which mm-hmm. is really informed, like really, really, really heightened my interest in that character. Character I was already interested in a performer I already liked. So yeah. I, he was fantastic. But yeah, episode, I think I, I mean I think your Yellow Jackets comp is a good one, but I think also it does go back to that whole faceless man issue of like of mm-hmm. like yeah. if you are constantly second guessing. Like I, I think if we latch onto like one person, we think this person is a scroll in this episode in this series, which we have, we have like picked our champion. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm still really invested in either answer to that question. But if it's like everyone's a scroll, or every, you know, like we'll see, we'll see how they parcel it out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Should we get right Let's to it? Let's do it. Should we dive? Yeah. Should we dive deep? Deep, like Sonia into the cavern beneath the meat locker where she made one of the most (laughs) expert masturbation jokes in the history of the MCU. (laughs) Can't wait to talk about that. Let's do the entire deep dive on that. Okay. We're going to go scene by scene. We're going to start at the beginning of the episode. The beginning of the episode is, in essence, a previously on. It's a recap of the 1995 timeline of Captain Marvel, though, without any of the Captain Marvel. It's Fury and the Skrulls and Maria. And we get that Maria line in particular, they won't be safe here. They need their own home to set the tone for this promise made and this promise uh, that was, was not followed through on and honored. Before we get to the, the 97 London yeah. opening stretch there. Is there anything that struck you about that quick previously on that was not actually technically presented as a previously on? <clears throat> I had to double check to make sure I wasn't like accidentally playing episode one again. And I was like, oh no, we're like, this is an episode. Like yeah. I was like, oh, did I miss like a massive, you know how like uh, Disney Plus is putting out those little like shorty like character catch-up things or whatever. I was like, mm-hmm. yep. are we doing like a full Nick Fury? Uh, I don't and again, this gets to like this gets to the larger Marvel question of like how much homework is too much homework to ask someone to do. This feels a little handholdy, but at the same time, like I know a lot of people saw Captain Marvel in the theater and made a shit ton of money, but I don't know that it's one that a lot of people rewatch necessarily, um, given the way that people talk about it now. So, you know, I'm sure mm-hmm. that that refresher was yeah. necessary for some people. Yeah, I think the thing that struck me about it was ultimately not about this episode and more like another ding now in hindsight on episode one where like you would think that Captain Marvel refresher would have come at the very beginning of the series but so much of what the initial episode did yeah just okay so we go to 97 we're two years after the events of Captain Marvel and we have a lot of interesting things in this sequence this is where young Gravik meets Fury this is where Fury makes the promise and then makes the pitch. This is where Talos speaks on (laughs) Fury's behalf, this rare declaration of trust. But every now and then on this pod, Joe, one of us just has to say, this is who I am. And this is one of my this is who I am moments. We're going to talk about all of that in like 45 seconds. Here's what we're going to talk about first. Where is Goose? How is Goose not in this scene? (laughs) Goose and Fury, we end Captain Marvel. With this beautiful bond, the eye scratch, our flurkin has swallowed and then vomited up the Tesseract, snoozing away in Fury's office. 
two years later, no goose. We have an opportunity to bring one of the most sterling performers in the history of the MCU, Reggie, the, the, the orange tabby, back, and we don't do it? This is real. What's happening here? This is real Bill Simmons wears Mondale energy on the Succession podcast. You know, like, <laughs> I have my agenda, and it is set, uh, and it is where the fuck is going. Okay, I got to be me and tell you that I have to read this email that we got from Chris. Mostly because it's like one of the most British emails we've ever received, and that thrilled me to no end, right? So we get the sky, the London skyline of 97. We're in Brixton. Mm-hmm. Chris wrote, and I'm not going to do the accent because later I'm going to criticize someone's accent, and I'm not setting myself up for that, so I'm just going to do it in my American accent. Chris wrote, it's hardly controversial to say that we've had to sit through a fair amount of bollocks from the MCU of recent. Mm-hmm. However... Mm-hmm. Them not being arsed (laughs) to Photoshop out a dozen anachronistic skyscrapers from the 1997 London skyline may be the final straw for me. So that didn't really, the anachronistic skyline didn't really bother me, but I did want to read an email that had bollocks and arsed in it. So thanks, Chris, for that. Um, Wonderful stuff. I also think the Brixton setting is interesting because we're going to talk a little bit later about um, the real world who in the cast is interested in the real world politics and allegories of the show and who has decided that's not what the show is about. I think that's an interesting dynamic going on behind the scenes. But um, mm-hmm. Brixton as a location, it's so funny. I was just talking about Brixton on the Big Pig podcast where we're doing our like favorite films of the year. And I will say, spoiler, my favorite film of the year is set in Brixton. And it is like a very cool part of the film is like the way that Brixton, but like Brixton, South London is a very specific and interesting location. Um, Mm -hmm. If you watch Steve McQueen's 2020 film, Small Axe, there's this whole Mm -hmm. segment, um, Alex Weedle, that is about Based on a true story about this young man who is involved in the, like, 1981 uprising, like, racial uprising that happened in Brixton, and um, uh, which touches on, like, gentrification and racial injustice and all sorts sort of stuff like that. But Alex Weedle, who wrote Brixton Rock, which is a fantastic novel from 1999, the location is just, like, kind of brimming with meaning. And the way in which Alex Weedle, that character mm-hmm. named after a real person, is... Um, like, is an orphan. I was like, are we meant to, like, draw a line between that character Mm, and mm -hmm. Gravik, who we meet right here? And the first thing we learn about Gravik Mm, is that mm -hmm. he has lost his parents and he is uh, angry, you know? Yes. Interesting. Love that. Love to spend time over in jolly old England. (laughs) Old blighty. (laughs) Should we start saying bollocks more on the pod? And arse, please. Yeah. I don't know if we could. I feel like CR could sell it. Over on the watch, I, you know, for I, sure. You as a, a a woman of Wales, you probably could get away with it. I refuse to cede the Anglophile, like, yeah. crown. Of course. To CR. He and I have to oh, share no, that. Certainly not about the, the Anglophile. I mean, I, I'm a lifelong Anglophile as well. Simply the, the speech, the incorporating bollocks into your everyday speech. I don't know. I'm going to, I'll work on arsed. Give it a go. See how it feels. I couldn't, couldn't be arsed. I'll be working on that. It's good to stay up to date. That's why you listen to all of your favorite Ringer podcasts, right? And that's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps, Assistant, and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with a Nissan SUV. 
Learn more about the Nissan Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy, and they call it sparked energy. Are you a spontaneous spirit who likes bringing a high-octane feel to the group chat? Grab a Berry Burst Sparked Energy. Love bringing that upbeat comedy vibe wherever you go? Turn the fun up to 11 with their peach sunshine flavor. Whatever your energy, Duncan's here to match it with a revitalizing burst of caffeine and full-on fruit flavors. Even better, a medium sparked energy is $3 now through March 19th. Drop by and get sparked by Duncan. Sparked energy drinks are fruit-flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. So you mentioned Young Gravik arriving. This is the meeting. You know, we chatted last week about how this history between the characters was very apparent when we were getting the reunion between uh, Talos and Fury, the idea that Gravik was particularly betrayed by Fury's exodus, by his absence. So we had had the sense that they had known each other for quite some time, and here it is. You know, you mentioned the the, the death of his parents, that last stand against the Kree, the way that he escaped on his own— Vara, who introduces Gravik, who brings him into the mix, describes him, his, his, his intellectual prowess, how smart he is, how he's a survivor. And when Fury apologizes to Gravik about his parents, Gravik says they died a brilliant death. Brilliant death. That freedom fighter dogma, very apparent from our first moment with him here, he's been forged by war in the past. That has shaped him. That has cemented his worldview. And so, of course, he is going to be willing to wage war again when we get that big speech at the council table table later. War, war. This is setting up that moment. The fact that these characters have known each other for Three decades. By the time of the blip, yeah, we're talking about a couple decades of, of shared history here. We get an interesting look passing between Gravik and Gaia as well when Fury, and we'll talk about the Fury-Talos pledge in, in a second here, mm-hmm. but when he, when he cha- uh, toasts Soren for her courage, right, for her bravery, she's the first one to step forward to take the pledge, a look is exchanged between Gaia and Gravik. So there's a lot of, of history between this group of central figures right here in this scene. Anything in terms of what this told us about Gravik that we needed to know for the rest of the episode, for the rest of the season, that really struck you most? I might do something that upsets you here and, like, pull us out of chronological order of the episode. Do but it. But I think the—I don't—it's not, it's not a casting spoiler, but, like, 
the actress who plays Vera is the actress who plays Nick Fury's wife at the end of the episode. Friend of mine who Priscilla. Yeah. Friend of yeah. mine who uh because like this wasn't immediate apparent in the credit in the credits or whatever, but a friend of mine who worked with that actress on Pose was like, Oh, I recognized her voice right away. Like that that was Charlene Woodward. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if this is Nick Fury's wife here presenting Gravik, there is a possibility that Gravik, even more so than I was originally thinking. Mm, was raised mm-hmm. as a son to Nick Fury. You know what I mean? If this, if his wife is right. the one yeah. saying, here is, and he has promise and blah, blah, blah. Like, is Gravik so much more of a son figure to Fury than mm. we originally thought? And if so, again, this is my hope for the upward trajectory mm. of the season. If so, how interesting then for Talos and Nick Fury to both be like failed father figures on one side of something and their children to be on the other side of it. And like, obviously Gaia is like Mm -hmm. somewhere in the murky middle, but like to make it that personal. And I I was going to say this for later, but I'm going to, I'm just going to say it now because um, I, I want to make sure that like, we don't talk around it and then I like drop it later and that would sound silly, but like Kingsley Benadir gave this fascinating interview to to Adam Very Variety. Um, Adam had a great piece about the sort of like racial identity and how it ties into, because we've got a protagonist mm-hmm. who's a black man, yep. an antagonist who's a black man. We've got, you know, uh, Don Cheadle's, you know, Rhodey's in here, blah, 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 and their yep. conversation. Mm-hmm. Yep. But what Kingsley Benadir said, like, and, and so like, Samuel Jackson is talking about how this is an important part of the character, the racial identity. Um, Right. Ali Salim, Salim, who's the director, is talking about, you know, as as like a non-white man himself, like how that's important. And then Kingsley Benadir was like basically like, I don't think we have time in six episodes of a Marvel show to do something like mm-hmm. that. So what he his mm-hmm. interpretation of Gravik, which is so mm-hmm. different, I think, than how most of us are have been reading him, he says. Gravik trusts no one, loves no one, cares about no one, and is living solely to see Nick Fury and Talos experience as much of the pain that he felt as possible. He's playing with them in a way that feels sociopathic, to say the least. And then Benadir goes on to say the Hmm. cause, like all this rhetoric that we hear from him throughout the episode, he says it means nothing to him. It's just a way to manipulate people around him so he can do what he needs to do to make Fury and Talos feel the pain. I was like, we do not have time to explore this, this being like the the refugee real world allegory. We do not have time to explore this properly on the show. We need to be careful. The messaging of it, especially being a person of color, I thought it was very risky. So like, I think that's really fascinating. Hmm, interesting. I think it is yeah. not necessarily what the writers and the director want to say about this character, but it is what the actor has decided is the truth of the character. And so that'll be interesting to watch going forward, I think. Do you want to talk more about Priscilla here? Or do we want to wait to hit that at the end of the episode, the the wife reveal, since we're... Do you want to talk about it here? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. Let's do it. Whatever you prefer. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So because we're mentioning Vara slash Priscilla, (laughs) Nick Fury is married and has this like pretty amazing home. Oh my god! Reveal. I love this is the my secret favorite over. Marvel home that I've ever seen. It's absolutely wonderful. Where does it rank for you among just fictional homes in general? It is up there. It is up there with Zoe Kravitz. So like it's Ex like, Machina. No, number one. it's number one. Zoe Kravitz's <laughs> home on Big Little Lies. That was just like all wood and plants. Oh. Um, yeah. And then yeah, I'll put all, yeah. well Ex Machina. Do I have to have the basement full of murder bots? 
Like, does that come no, with it? No, you can just have the the, the water view. Okay. <laughs> the ample glass. Right. I'll do that. <laughs> oh, man. So what do you think? Does Nick Fury know that his wife is a scroll? Because when we first see Priscilla in the kitchen preparing a meal, she's in her scroll form. And then when Fury walks in, before he rounds the bend into the kitchen, she has transformed into human form. This has been a big source of theorizing and discussion and debate on the internet in the last day and a half since the show aired. Uh, you mentioned Ali Salim already, the director. He said to Deadline, quote, in the script, he knows. And when we shot it, it was interesting that maybe he didn't know. We ultimately edited it in a way that made people feel like, I wonder if he knows or not. I can't tease anything forward about his wife. The conversation in the lobby after pr the premiere the other night was, does he know she's a scroll or does he not? And I think either way works. So he's leaving it open. I don't think he is leaving it open. I feel like he just tipped his hand. He's like, in the script, he knows. <laughs> he's, he's leaving it open except for the fact that he said, in the script, definitively, he knows that he's she's like, a scroll. In the script, he knows, but we edited so it was a fun little like speculation cliffhanger between episode two and three to get people right, talking. which it would have remained until this quote. Yeah. <laughs> if I just kept my drop shut, it could have been open either way. I mean, I don't, uh, no, no shame in the game, honestly, but like, uh, I think, I think it's very clear that he knows. I also think it's better... Yeah. Sto a better story if he knows. Um, Agreed. You know. Yes. Um, yes. Certainly in the context of the, we'll we'll talk soon about the 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 blow up fight between Talos and Fury, but that idea of coexisting and what level of harmony and a shared existence is possible in his own life, in his own home, he's doing exactly what he says is not possible on a larger scale. And of course, he's done that also with this this now you know three decades long friendship with. Talos also obviously adds some richness to the conversation from episode one about who's a good looking yeah, scroll. Yeah, hot scrolls. Well, I have a follow up <laughs> question about that. Okay, so like two things. First of all, we okay. got an email from Michael who says, I don't know that I 100% agree, but I think it's an interesting possibility. He says, now we know who Maria meant when she said, quote, someone else in episode one. Sorry about your Tony and Natasha theories. Fury came home because he owes it to his squife. This also explains Fury's line about knowing good-looking squirrels. Squife. Squirrel wife. Squife. Squirrel wife. Squirrel. Um, oh, boy. His, his scouse. Um, anyway, uh, this is the quote from last week's episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's just mm -hmm. say I had a crisis of faith. So why'd you come back? It followed me up here, up there, and I owe it to Talos. You sure you're not talking about someone else? So, like, does he owe it to his wife? Um, uh -huh. Could be. I don't know that I wholly agree, and Mallory yeah. really doesn't agree by her, judging by her face. But like, I, I think it's an interesting possibility that that's what he's I talking just think about. that line is there for. It is an interesting possibility. I think that line in episode one is there for us as longtime Marvel viewers to appeal to to to, to bring up to the the four of our our minds Fury's history with Mallory's. Avengers, Mallory's always thinking about Tony Stark, and I don't blame her. Okay. Tony's always <laughs> top of mind for me. Yeah. Just as I know uh, Steve Rogers is always top is of mind for both of us, correct. I guess we would be remiss if we didn't discuss for a minute the My Wife Kicked Me Out line mm -hmm. from our shared favorite film, Winter Soldier, which, to be clear, was at the time and remains still, despite this reveal, a cover a story because Nick Fury knew the apartment was bugged and that they were being monitored. However, it's nice to have that added little bit of something that will pop into our minds now when well, we revisit that Let me that throw moment. a little weird little wrinkle into this conversation, though. Like, let's... So, in the script, he knows. Quote, unquote, in the script, he knows, right? <laughs> 
Yes. So, okay. So Nick Fury knows that his wife Mm -hmm. is a Skrull. He met her back in the 90s. They may or may not have raised Gravik together. We'll find out. (laughs) Um, What does it say that she, like, puts the human face on at home when he walks in the door? Like, So, yeah, a a couple different theories and ways you can interpret this. One that I landed on, I guess, is that, you know, we hear last week at Gravik's base that from Gaia, that like the warriors, this is specifically about the warriors, stay in their human forms. It makes it harder for them to be detected. It makes it easier for them to maintain the disguise. So I wonder if they have decided that this will be how she stays safe, how she avoids detection. And so she doesn't want him to get mad that she's being risky in her own skin. In her own skin. When she's home by herself cooking. So that would be sad. She's cooking in her own skin. So if, if that's yeah. the case... And then felt like she couldn't be that way. If that's the case, him, that is, that's a hot bummer, honestly. Ter- terrible. <laughs> okay. <Just> making sure <laughs> we all agree that's not a yeah. great foundation for a marriage. Scenes, I scenes did like from the, a like, marriage. Scenes from a marriage, <laughs> yes. Um, I did like thinking about the Barton farm, homestead, yeah. the Barton farm, and, you know, Fury's established MCU track record of hiding a family. So, I mean... <laughs> this is, like, a big part of his routine. This house... You will see your family? Let me hide it for this you. This house looks like... Makes the Barton farm look like absolute dog shit. With, with love and Dude, respect. you, I know... I know are a books organized by color enthusiast, so you must have I done like, this. I, like, squealed. And then the, like, art <laughs> is beautiful, and then they're just, like, surrounded by trees, yeah. and it's just, like, classy mm-hmm. glass yeah. and wood. Ugh, I loved it. The- thematically apt art. We've got like the masks, mm-hmm. you know, the wall of masks. We've got these uh, images and paintings of figures in some sort of state yeah. of evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Great looking home, man. Great looking home. Wonderful. I hope we spend more time there. What do you think is going to happen to Nick Fury's wife? Because I got really worried, especially on the heels of our conversation in week one and the conversation around Mar- Maria Hill's death in week one we're not going to seriously inside of the same six episode series lose another woman in Nick Fury's life to make him mad, are we? Is that going to happen? That would Listen, be it's, really, it's Marvel. really Anything fucked up. Anything could happen. Um, yeah, I, I also got concerned because the whole like lone gunman thing that we've talked about. And listen, like he's, yeah. he's sh- like, she shed Maria in episode one. Oh, that's a shitty way to put it, but like, okay. Um, <laughs> oh Shed Talos in this episode <gasps> oh. already, right? And then, mm. like, has been disavowed, essentially, by the government. So, like, yeah. it's just yeah. his secret scroll wife um, <laughs> left. Troubling. Yeah, so. It's worrying, yeah. Joanna. It's worrying. Uh, you think you don't... I mean, would Gravik kill his scroll mom? Absolutely. Well, with, without question, I guess, He's right? He's a sociopath, yeah. Yeah. Also, it, one of the other things that's clear from that Soren moment in that opening 97 scene is how long he's known her. Didn't stop him from killing her. So, you know, Gravik is, um, you know, he's committed. He's got a lot. He's got, his work ethic is incredible, and you, and you have to agree. <laughs> he's got some takes on wine that I can't wait to discuss. <laughs> uh, back with, we'll zip back to the beginning of the episode, back with our... our, our 97 timeline, Young Gravik. And let's chat a little bit about how Talos and his Keller 
form mm-hmm. here, addresses the assembled, the way that he explains how they wound up back on Earth. Because, of course, at the end of Captain Marvel, they leave. They're on the ship, and Carol is leading them away. So this was a little small loop that the show needed to close. Steve, can we hear this? We went looking for Alan. Found nothing but violence and hate. All of us have lost someone. Or everyone. And our entire species is scattered across the galaxy. But for those of you who braved the journey here to Earth. You did so for one reason. This man, this man I trust. You know I don't use that word lightly. First things first. Mallory, can we schedule a time where we just listen to Ben Mendelsohn say literally anything? So soothing. <laughs> I might make this my like go to go to sleep sound. <laughs> just Ben Mendelsohn talking about trust. Absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a different it's a different vibe here than Krennic, but they're both really special. Krennic has the cape. <laughs> Keller has so much moral fiber. It's a really it's it's you know six and one half a dozen uh, the other. Man, absolutely fantastic, Joanna. This is. Uh, just the toughest of looks for our guy, Nick Fury. Hearing this speech about believing in him, trusting in him, knowing that he will follow through, that he will help them achieve this thing that they have been unable to achieve. And when Fury begins his part of this recruitment pitch, here's what he sketches out. Scrolls and humans can help each other. We will get later to the we can't coexist at a, a, a large scale at that at that to that extent uh, uh, train sequence. There's a threat. We're in the 97 timeline. There's a threat. He needs help with that threat. In order for them to help, they're going to need faces, human faces. It would mean putting on a new face and keeping it. Compare that to the home in my own skin right. driving force of Gravik's crew. This is the promise, he says. While you work to keep my home safe, Carol Danvers and I will find you a new one. And then as he's looking right at Gravik, he says, you keep your word, I'll keep mine. So to recap, Nick Fury did not find the scrolls Mm -hmm. a home for (laughs) three decades. He did not do the thing Mm -hmm. that he said he was going to do here. But he did ask them, to live in disguise as a secret workforce for an indefinite period of time. I don't think, now, Talos is also in the wrong, which we'll talk about shortly, but I don't think you really get to be mad about scrolls infiltrating society when you initially encouraged them to do that for your ends. And I think this feeds right into what we were talking last week about I promise this week I come armed with only one John Lecaray quote, which I will read later. But like <laughs> that Lecaray concept yeah. of the consummate spy, the consummate mm-hmm. spy is a fucker. Like, you know, it's not mm-hmm. like it's not a hero. It's not someone to look up to. This is someone who will promise you one, you know, how many times right. on slow horses alone, Mallory, have we watched 
Gary Oldman <laughs> promised someone something only uh, to yeah. absolutely fuck them a minute later. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, yes. this is, this is the archetype. And so we've been thinking right. for a long time of Nick Fury as a as a hero. We've seen him do heroic things. He avenged he he avenged he assembled the Avengers. Like you know, like this is I love Avenged. That's great. <laughs> I love, love Avengeling. Um, but like, but you know, like Nat certainly he has read on his ledger up and down up and down the shores. That's what happens when you're a spy. Right. When you're a spy. So, right. I think this is per- a perfect. Thing to hang on him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, versus someone like, like Steve Rogers, who I'm like unwilling to hang him, just kind of forgetting about Sharon Carter in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm like, absolutely not. You're not allowed to tarnish that hero that way. Nick Fury is a man like born to exist in this kind of complicated, um, uh, say anything to get what you want for whatever you consider the greater good to be, right? Right. I think that that's why the genuine depth of affection, obviously the literal marriage right. that is revealed to us in this episode is a new a new data point that only exacerbates the sensation that we already have, but the depth of, of sincere affection between Fury and Talos really complicates that because if it were just the cold calculus of spycraft, right, and these people were, it was a utilitarian thing, Mm -hmm. I need you to achieve my end, that would be, that would be one thing. But he cares about these people. These relationships are real. I still feel like these, like, former Cold War spies will do this to their friends as well, do you know, as their, as their, you know, agents, whatever. Some of those friends assets. Uh, that's what I, that's the spy word I wanted. Asset. Assets. Some of those friends slash assets of Angel have <laughs> done some stuff too. And we learn about some of the things that Talos and the scrolls have done that Fury wasn't aware of. There uh is a long scene on a train yeah. in a compartment on a train from Moscow to Warsaw before we get this exchange between Talos and Fury. We have this really wonderful moment where <gasps> the soldiers are checking the compartments, trying to see who's in there. Fury is hiding. And Talos assumes the form of an absolute goddess. He's just stunningly beautiful Russian woman. And uh, do we want to just do the who are you taking to the fracking pod segment here? 100%. <laughs> like, how could it be anyone but Talos? Flirting with a Russian soldier on a train. Like, what's what else could we possibly ask for? And I just love that you could, like, you could, I mean, I, I like to think that all the scrolls are good actors. This is like part of what they do, but you could definitely see Ben Mendelssohn doing this. Do you know what I mean? I am glad you mentioned that because this in particular made me think of that moment in Captain Marvel where at the Rambeau home, they're asking how this works, right? And then like later in the spaceship, could you become a filing cabinet, all this stuff. And one of the things that he says is, dare I say talent? Like it takes talent to do it at this level. (laughs) That was just absolutely fantastic. Did you have an email that you wanted to share here, I Joanna? sure do. This is a really important question, and, and it comes from Hannah, speaking of the, fra- <laughs> of the fracking pods. Hannah asks, are the scrolls naked? Are they, though? 
They seem to be about to change their clothes when they change their skin. When Talos becomes the woman in the train, for example, do they have special shape-shifting fabrics or is that just their skin? We've seen scrolls in, like, for example, Ben Mendelsohn and Captain Marvel, whatever. Like, we've seen them go from mm-hmm. being yep. in civvies to being a scroll, like, in their human face to being in the same clothes. And um, Or when we see them land initially in the water, they were wearing clothing. Like, I think it's just mm-hmm. shape-shifting clothing, though I'd, I'd love to uh, imagine that they're all just running around Starkers and, like, what we think is yeah. a skirt or a shirt and tie or whatever is actually just nothing. You think it's bad when you're Bruce Banner and you become the Hulk and you just shred <laughs> your entire wardrobe. But imagine that happening to a million people. Amazing. That would be tough. These are the important questions that we like to contemplate. I'm so, thank you, Anna, for that important you're question. Yeah. <sighs> Back in the form of Ben Mendelsohn, he joins Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury, in the train compartment. Love a scene in a train compartment, John. I love a train. Absolutely love a train. Absolutely. You're going to love the new Mission Impossible movie. (laughs) I just can't wait. I just love a train. I simply cannot wait. And Fury begins talking to Talos about his past. He talks about his mom, the trains that they took to Detroit. And Talos has this, like, really sincere, sweet expression and smile on his face as he's getting to hear... Nick Fury share I was actually, information I was actually about his past, about his life. Especially struck by that look on Ben Mendelsohn's face. And I yeah. like felt like I've never seen him do that, even when he's played like nice characters, which he rarely does. Um and then I found mm-hmm. and then I read an interview where Samuel Jackson said that was like a story from his own childhood, like the story of the train and the chicken and the shoe and the food in the shoebox and all that sort of stuff was just like a story that he told from his own childhood. And so I think Ben Mendelsohn was like especially like this is your story. Like, that's yeah. cool. Thanks for sharing it sort of thing, you know? Oh, I love that. That's amazing. It's really rare across the entire history of the MCU that we have gotten to hear Nick Fury talk about his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can think, of course, of another Winter Soldier scene, right? The elevator mm-hmm. scene with Cap where Nick Fury is talking about his grandfather. There are a couple other little moments. Of course, we get some in Captain Marvel, when Carol and Nick are bonding. I always love the scene where he's, like, saying that everyone exclusively calls him Fury. And then, of course, the Nicholas utterance is what tips him off to <laughs> Keller being a scroll. But this was just, like, a really lovely thing, this, this whole stretch here. And one of the things that he says is that his mother's favorite game was tell me something I don't know. And that if he was lying, the fact that he was lying revealed a truth. And this is, of course, priming this conversation with Talos mm-hmm. about, tell me what I don't know about the fall of Skrullos. Tell me what I don't know about the scrolls who escaped. He believes that there is information that he doesn't have and he wants to get it here. Here's what he learns. Steve, please play this clip. They're here. <laughs> Who's here? <laughs> All of us. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you're, you're telling me there's a million scrolls walking amongst us right now? Have you lost your reptilian-ass mind? I sent out the call, and every scroll that isn't in Emperor George's colony, they answered. You lied to me! Hey, 
We were being hunted across the universe. I had two choices. I could let my people be annihilated or summon them here to Earth. What would you have done? This ain't about me. Okay, so we're about 12-ish minutes into the second episode of Secret Invasion, and we are balancing the I have fucked up in some colossal way <laughs> scales here. Each of these guys has done something wrong or failed to follow through on some part of their bargain. Fury didn't get the scrolls at home. Talos lied and uh, infiltrated Oops. planet Earth on a mass scale. Oops. Whoops. All right. It happens. Listen. It happens, especially if you allow the scrolls to come here <laughs> in the first place and encourage them to uh, assume false identities. Did you think it was odd that Nick Fury wouldn't have considered this risk? Yeah. Like, that this shot A big him. L. Big L for Nick, honestly. Like, <laughs> hey, guys, why don't you sneakily infiltrate Earth? And they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to do that on a massive scale. And then they keep scale. doing it, and he's like, what? <laughs> what? You don't run this past me. Um... We need to talk about something really quickly, and it is something that you okay. and I have a shared fascination with, and it is the way that Ben <laughs> Mendelsohn has decided to pronounce this name that in the closed yeah. captioning is D-R-O-G-G-E, which may or may not be a reference to a character in the comics, D-R-O apostrophe G-E. We'll talk about that in a second, but um, Ben Mendelsohn is pronouncing it Drudge. That's what I heard. What did you hear? Drudge? <laughs> <laughs> I listened to this so many times because I was so many. I I was like wrapped listening to that. The the difference between what comes out of his mouth and what we are reading on the page is just incredible. But anyway, Emperor Drudge, astonishing. Um, Mm -hmm. in the comics, this character is a high priest that's involved in like the scientific experience. Essentially, like a Reed Reed Richards esque character for the scrolls, and he's uh, you know, the one. Making the super something scrolls. of a scientist himself, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Um, <laughs> and so the question is: Is this just a comic book nod mention? I mean, it's wild to mention that there is an emperor scroll out there mm-hmm. somewhere. Is this right. just a one-off casual mention? Is this character Drudge or however you want to pronounce the name <laughs> Drudge? Drudge. <laughs> Drudge. Um, is this character? involved in, you know, graphics scientific mm-hmm. experiments that we find out about right. later? Does it have right. anything to do with the Daltons, et cetera, et cetera? So, mm-hmm. right. uh, yeah. or is it just like a little, little tossed off, you know, comic book reference? Tune and in. All of those are possible. Could definitely be involved with the Super Scroll plot. Possibly just a wink to comic readers. Could also be a wink to comic readers paired with okay, this is a way to make sure the audience knows that this isn't literally All the it. scrolls. Not every single scroll in the universe is here on planet Earth. Just a million of them. Just literally a million of them. That's okay. Do you think the Roy kids, you know, we've moved on from the hundred. Should we Should we hit them up and pitch the million? Um, bitelets of news? Just like... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of news, a lot of news broadcasts in this Very episode. True. I think it's worth considering. Uh, yeah. um, I don't think Kendall's <sighs> taking any calls right now, um, but I, <laughs> it's possible that Roman is open to do possibilities. Oh my god! The next part of the exchange is the opening clip. What we open today's pod with: Talos invoking. Fury blipping, his post-blip hesitancy to be present, to engage, to be there—not only literally, but in a way that counted, right? Does this mean, Joe, how are you interpreting this? Did the million that Taylor summoned arrive during the blip or did they arrive after while Fury was gone, while he was on Saber? I want to say after, but that's still, that's kind of a short window. Um, 
as far as we can tell. Either the way, this is like pretty, this is a recent. I think it's recent. And I wanted to talk about, okay, so this is where I'm going to deploy my one and only I promise John Lecaray quote today. And talk about the idea of Nick Fury, the pre-blip snap is what I prefer. Pre-snap Nick Fury mm-hmm. and the yeah. post-snap uh, Nick Fury. So in 2017, John Lecaray wrote uh, A Legacy of Spies where he took his like Cold War era spies and put them in like the modern world to sort of examine how that would go, right? So of that story, John Lecaray said, I was able to set up with my characters a situation where the past came back to challenge the present. What was the past? The past was a total ideological commitment to the cause of anti-communism. Communism. What is the present? A space, a really haunted place where we have no ideology, where the one thing that joins us is a common fear, where social democracy is being assailed from the East and the West at the same time, where the Europe that Smiley, George Smiley, his uh, character, where the Europe that Smiley loves is shrinking, is under siege, and we Brits, of all awful, stupid things, are walking out on Europe just at the same moment when they need us the most, right? So this is like a Smiley in the age of Brexit is the question. And by the way, we get a Brexit uh, <laughs> nod in this uh, in this oh, episode. Man, sure do. But yeah. uh, so this idea of like what <laughs> we've seen Fury undergo two, three, I would say, radical idea shaking moments one uh people from out of space are here right two hydra has been here the whole time three he got snapped away for several years uh while other people stayed behind um but i would say that Mm -hmm. snap that before and after snap is what this show is particularly invested in in terms of like understanding how nick fury's ideology has changed Um, And so I think that's just like a really interesting concept to think about, like that Cold War mentality that like I understand black and white, what's right and wrong. And now I'm living in a fear space. Like when we see Nick Fury later in this episode Mm -hmm. crumpled on a bench, you know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah. After the road. That's a Mm -hmm. a living in just like a constant fear reactive space, uh, which is understandable after everything he's been through. I love that. Have uh, you found in your in your readings, hmm. not to make you sound like Connor Roy, but in your <laughs> readings, <laughs> any literary quotes that explain how all of planet Earth failed to notice a million scrolls arriving? Anything on that? Anything popping? I I, I I cannot refer to you to John Lecaray text, but I would refer you to the TV series uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> Where, like, we mm-hmm. found out that, like, borders vanished, homeless... Cr- I feel like that's where you can easily smuggle an extra million or so into the planet. I feel like the spaceship still has to land at some point. On the water <laughs> somewhere? I feel like that's not it's Sure, yeah. Maybe it's hard to notice things in the, the oceans of planet Earth with, like, baby celestials just hanging out. <laughs> Sorry. That's that's a little later, it's but still you know. there. <laughs> Planet Earth in the MCU. What a place. Speaking of, when Talos says that, hey, yeah, sure, I secretly brought a million scrolls to Earth, but like here's the great news. I genuinely believe that humans and scrolls can coexist, that we can make this our home yeah. without 
disrupting anything, that we can all live together in harmony. Fury says, humans can't coexist with each other, Talos. You've been here long enough to know that. We've been at war with each other since we could walk upright. There's not enough room or tolerance on this planet for another species. So that theme of tolerance, very present in this episode, clearly is central focus of the series. And this is a fascinating thing in general. The the Midnight Boys, pew, pew, they, they had a wonderful discussion about the new Asgard question, mm-hmm. Joe, right? Why, why everyone's fine with new Asgard and the Asgardians setting up shop over in Norway, but this would be an unthinkable thing. So what do you what do you think of the the new Asgard element here? I like the um I like the distinction that I've seen some people make between the Asgardians who look humanoid and the scrolls who don't and the way right. in which that's something alien is scarier, and that's one of the things the show is interested Let's just in think about the way the United States, yeah. let's say, if, if we're going to ignore yeah, exactly. Kingsley Benadir's warning to, like, put too much real-world uh, application on the show, the way we treat some immigrants versus others. Do you know what I mean? That there are mm-hmm. some immigrants who are, like, the you know, the good, quote-unquote, and some who are the bad and we want to keep away from our borders. That's not my, those are not my politics, but those are like talking points that we hear. Um, And so I think, you know, I'm inclined to think that perhaps they kind of forgot about New Asgard when they were uh, putting down this plot point, but I think you could sort of uh, make the case Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet and the MCU kind of forgot you, about New I think Asgard. you know that's what I'm thinking every time I say kind of forgot. <laughs> this is just a, a lot of boats in both Just scenarios. a good old-fashioned so. David Benioff special. <laughs> uh, anything else on the No, I just want to... Conversation in the train. I want to talk about our favorite scene from the entire episode. Maybe even our favorite scene in all of Marvel Disney Plus TV-dom. Other than, like, obviously, like, actually problematic scenes in in the history of Marvel. This scene with Maria Hill's mom and Fury is one of the worst I can remember. Like, uh, with apologies, that I thought this was borderline unwatchable. What happened And what is stunning about this, because, like, it's not just badly written, but it is, like, Badly performed. And the thing is, Juliet Stevenson, who is playing Maria Hill's mom, is an incredible actress, like fantastic. If you've never seen like Truly Madly Deeply with Alan Rickman, or she's in the like Gwyneth Paltrow Emma, and she's incredible in that one. She's in Bend It Like Beckham. Like she's been in like a million fantastic films, is an incredible actress of the stage and screen. So what the fuck happened here? And I like part of it, I think, has to be part of it has to be asking her to do an American accent, which she cannot do. So like oh, the, the the vowels yeah. are all over the shop on this one. Like it is if you thought Richard Dormer was bad in episode one, like just let the British actors be British. Maria Hill could have an English mom. Who cares? You know, um, or cast an American either way. But not this. Well, Never like I, this. I actually was like, is she supposed to be? British because this scene takes place in the UK and the accent was bleeding in in such a confusing way, particularly in the platitude line, which was just a remarkable, (laughs) remarkable moment. Very, very strange. And then in addition to that, you know, in in theory, right, the scene is there to uh, grapple with and confront the cost of secrecy, the cost of living this kind of life when you have to stare into the face 
a person who is carrying the weight of the choices around you. Like, when Tony has has uh, his encounter with Charlie Spencer's mom, right, with with Miriam Sharp in Captain America's Civil War when he's try- about to, to get on the, the elevator and the impact that that has on him. Okay, a real person, a lot of people died in Sokovia, but I had to, ha- I had a moment where somebody who lost their child because of, in part, things I did. Like, I had to, I had to, face that and now I have to carry that. We didn't know Miriam Sharp any longer yeah. than we have known and, Elizabeth Hill. It's one scene, but the impact that they had, it couldn't be uh, well, right. more And like, Alfre Woodard is an incredible actress, but I, but like, you just, yeah. if you have not seen her, you just have to take my word for it that Julian Stevenson is an incredible actress. So this is just like an absolutely bizarre um, exchange. We did get an email about this from Camille because like, in addition to the <sighs> bizarre, bizarre <laughs> acting, the terrible accent, like everything that's happening here. Because I don't think Samuel Jackson is good in this scene either, by the way. Um, the line that she gives on her way out, the button of the scene is, look, I don't know what Maria died for out there, but whatever it was, don't let it be for nothing, right? So to follow up on the conversation we had about Maria Hill's death last week, Camille writes, uh, like, I would love for you to talk more about Maria Hill's fridging if is, and then... Um, like, they did it. Okay. Did they have to underline it with so much red pen? That whole, you better make her death worth it was so on the nose. Goodness gracious. Couldn't they have pretended at least a little bit that this was not what was going on? I'm already so sad that Cubby Smulders won't be in the MCU anymore. They had had a whole scene about how she was killed to hurt Fury. I'm a sucker for Marvel shows, and I still rolled my eyes so hard. So I, like, I completely agree with yeah. this. Like, we talked about the levels of this last week, but, like... You know, female characters will die in things. Not every example of a female character dying right. is fridging. But fridging. this, yeah. where it's like she literally died to hurt slash motivate her, hit him, and then someone says, make it worth something, is like, <laughs> it's like right yeah. out of the textbook of what, of what fridging is. It's brutal. bizarre. Yeah. Also, we, you know, we talked about this. And this was last week, and it was a much, it was a bigger issue overall in the premiere than it was in the second episode. But like how often the show felt like it needed to really strongly lead us and guide us, Mm -hmm. right? And you're Nick Fury. (laughs) Maria believed in you. She would have followed you to the gates of hell and back. Do platitudes. Do platitudes now. (laughs) Don't you be one of those bastards who gives me a platitude when I'm looking for the truth. Fucking hell. Oh my God. But like, we don't need that your Nick Fury Maria believed in you line because it was so much more potent to see the conversation between them last week where she told him he had let her down. It wasn't she would follow him blindly to the gates of hell. It was so much more complicated than that. Horrible. uh, Horrible scene. It's really rough. A, a lot of I, uh, several actually great scenes in this episode. Oh, a number of horrible them. Yeah. tarmac scene of all the tarmac scenes we've seen. I almost am like, how did the scene make the episode? And I wonder if it's like they felt like they had to check the box of, oh, we've gotten a lot of flack before of not having like a funeral or some sort of send off for these other characters. Let's do this. And it's like, this, this is, is not it. also <laughs> bad in a very different this way. This is not it. I would, if I, if I had seen the final <laughs> cut, of, if I had seen the cut of this episode and I were literally anyone who would work for Marvel, I'd be like, cut that out and yeah. never let it see the light of day. And apologize. A platitude. <laughs> and apologize to Julian Stevenson for, make, for doing uh, that to her. Don't you be <laughs> one of those bastards. 
Who gives me a platoon? <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, they, they couldn't they couldn't be arsed to write her a good scene. Is that is that a good application? Oh man. Okay. Well, we've talked about that scene now. Now it's time to talk about some fair and balanced news coverage. Yeah. <laughs> FXN News. You love a little Fox News uh, comp in your in your MCU. I know you do. We see a lot of coverage, Joe, of the Unity Day bombings. We learned that 2,000 are dead so far. We hear later in the episode that number's going to rise, rise, rise. Uh, 4,000. Heavy air quotes. Yeah. Martin Wallace, right? The scroll Brogan who has taken on Martin Wallace's form has been ID'd in the coverage as the leader of this attack. This is all going exactly the way that Graphic intended. And then we see a bunch of folks who we will later learn inside of the same episode are members of the scroll Council. We see the UK Prime Minister. I'm just going to call her Pam. <laughs> Pamela... Lotto. Pammy? Pam. Little Pammy? Our gal Pam. Come along. Okay. Yeah. NATO Secretary General Sergio Caspani. He doesn't get a fun nickname. So we've got Pam and Serge. Yeah, okay, great. FXN news anchor Chris Stearns. This was a thrill. Welcome to the MCU, Christopher McDonald. <laughs> this was a thrill. I love him. <laughs> An absolute thrill. Though I will say I was slightly, I was interested by... I was slightly, like, stumped for a minute by the way that he voiced the, what is in essence the truth. He says, this has got to be, this has, this has got false flag written all over it. So he's not misleading people. He's actually saying what happened as part of this larger gambit to stitch together some sort of narrative out in the world. Is there an email you wanted to share here? Yeah. I mean, a <laughs> couple things going on, right? So first, okay, we get this email uh -huh. from Hunter. It says, uh, in our real world, we know that the talking heads that this show was copying regularly spread, spread misinformation for the purpose of fomenting political anger in viewers. But here he's being framed as actually being correct when compared to the authority figures. That kind of made me uncomfortable. Did either of y'all pick up on that or am I reading too much into it? Um, I hear what Hunter is saying, but I I. I if our roadie is a scroll theory, like, pans out, I think this is an important, like, breadcrumb on the trail to say that they have scrolls on every side of the of the ideological argument. Do you know what I mean? Like, because right. yeah, if, yeah, he, yeah. if yes, he's giving yeah. the other mm -hmm. side, because then later we will see roadie versus the NATO uh, council, right? And he's arguing with them. And so, but like, we know that half of them at least are scrolls. And so why would he be arguing with them? And it's like, well, I think if they've invaded every corner, they're having right. these like public arguments for show to like, yes, you exactly. know, be on all right. sides. They've got to play out the yeah, long con. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And seeing all of the different figures, a prime minister, a NATO figure, a, a high profile news anchor, like it does give us a sense when we see them at the council table later, of how deep the infiltration already yeah. is, even though we don't have the full list. Like you're saying, okay, okay, well, every kind of walk of life, every ideology, every country, right. every job, we're going to have some sort of presence already, maybe not inside just the council, but in those one million scrolls, Talos, 
Delos brought in in the last few years without anybody noticing. Great stuff. Should we talk about the council scene more? Because it's right after this. I loved it. It is, uh, we, we get there. I love the scene. Thought this scene was fantastic. Gaia is driving a uh, very tired. I want to say tired. I think Gaia. Graphic. I think Gaia also looks tired. I think everyone Everyone's sleepy. I think it's hard everyone work. who is yeah. making a camp at a like nuclear facility is not getting great sleep. That is my yeah. uh, assessment here. So Gaia drives Gravik to this council meeting. He notes that he was not invited, which is interesting because we had learned that he took Talos' seat on the council, but he has not been embraced, we see very clearly, can, by the group at large. There's a ton I'm of I'm sure you can come up with a sports analogy for this, but can we talk mm-hmm. about going from not invited to scroll general in the space of, like, <laughs> eight minutes? I mean, he had the—he and Pam— Oh, they had it's a survivor analogy. He had a secret alliance. Oh, isn't it always? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Who has, like, the knowledge's power advantage that they're going to break out at the right time at Tribal and dunk all yeah. over Big Surge? And, sure, and Shirley got voted out, basically. Um, by the way, I need an update. We can do it later, but I do need an update on your survivor okay, viewing. we'll talk about it. And, I, I, yeah. Okay. Uh, Gaia, not a lot in, Joe. Not a lot in the room for the council meeting. She's... She's She's pissed. pissed. She feels very much on the outside of everything that's going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, She's asking him questions on the ride, by the way, like asking how he knew Fury would be there. To get back to that point you made at the beginning of the pod about like where are her allegiances and how is the show handling that? Uh, Okay, so she betrayed her father, didn't actually use the decoy bag. She's still on Gravik's side, but she's asking a lot of questions. And then, of course, later, everything with her infiltration of the lab and her computer research on the secret scroll mission. Okay. Secret scroll, that's our that's our bit. <laughs> Super scroll mission. Uh, she's obviously trying to find out whatever she can about Gravik. Is she, in your mind right now, trying to amass information to share? Is she amassing it for herself because she hasn't yet decided what she wants to do? What do you think? It's really, I really think they're trying to hide the ball on this from us, so it's hard for me to say, but I think the two clear possibilities are she's pissed enough about being on the outside that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. she's either trying to, like, put herself in a position of leadership or something like that, or she's softened enough by the things that her father has said that she's like, I want to make sure I fully understand this organization that I've signed up for that has allegedly killed my mother. So, you know what I mean? And I think Gravik, who is able to sniff out, like, you know, anyone who has given up information pretty easily, is very suspicious of her at the same time. Yes. You know? lot of glances mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from Gravik uh, in Gaia's direction over the course of this episode, of particularly notable ones in the car ride back from the, the meat locker at the end of the episode. Uh, speaking of Gravik, Joe, in this scene where he was fantastic, riveting, treats us to, to some I- incredible villain who has a point, MCU stuff here. He and, is, but again, like this is not what Kingsley Benadir is playing. Like to him, it's all like smoke. It's it's right. fascinating, honestly, to me. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if it feels that way at the end because here it certainly seems. But I think sincere now is it? Just I think saying something like part of the tactic. Maybe. I think saying something like you don't punish a man by giving him what he wants 
That was it's chilling. Very icy sociopath sort of shit. Yeah. I loved yeah. that. That line was amazing when they were still in the car. Uh, at the table, we see our, our three new pals who we just talked about in the news footage sequence. And then Shirley and Jack. We don't know. Shirley plays a big role in the, the subsequent events here. Jack does not. We don't know what their roles in society are yet. I assume we'll find out. I was curious to ask you, because we know that this was the seat that Talos lost, that he was exiled, booted from the council. Do you, is your read on that, that he would have been with these exact people in these exact disguises on the council? In other words, does he know, for example, that the British prime minister is a scroll and he has not told Nick Fury that? And if so, how does that influence your read on well, how Talos is I do want to shout out the fact that, like, uh, our pal, friend of the pod, Ryan Airy of Orange Screen Crush, has this whole theory that he is very mm-hmm. attached to that, like, Talos is actually, like, the big bad of the whole series. I'm not mm-hmm. on board with that theory. No. Yeah. Though I love and respect Ryan and his theories. But um, I, I, I think he is caught between two worlds as like every single mm-hmm. one of these scrolls sure. are. Right. And so I think he does know some things right. that he's not sharing with Fury because he doesn't want like he wants as right. few scrolls as possible to be harmed or whatever in all of this. Right. So like I don't think right. he wants to reveal right. the depths right. of certain things. So yeah, I mean like we certainly know that yeah. he knows And at the end of the day his primary mission is to find his people of oh, home. Yeah. He just yeah. thinks, you know, maybe not by killing four thousand humans, but also you know, we we saw that in episode one when he does not want to shoot the scroll that he's fighting and Nick Fury does, right? So he is, like, protective of all scrolls to a point, right? Right, right. So the Legion of Dead that you just yeah. mentioned, uh, this is something that Gravik's councilmates bring up. Up, Shirley uh, notes that these terrorist attacks have severely undermined the stability that this council seeks to preserve. That was how she put it. Now, ultimately, at the end, she will be the one who does not bend the knee, who leaves, who calls Talos. Uh, shout out Bobby Baratheon. You know? I mean, like, <laughs> I loved this because Serge is the one who's like willing to like run his mouth, but sh- iconic but, scene but for sure. Sh- but Shirley is the <laughs> one who actually like has a line she will not cross, right? Yes, exactly. And Gravik has some lines, too, uh, including everything that he's witnessing in this room presently and the way that all of his fellow council members have chosen to live their lives. He delivers a true, like, withering indictment of their current behavior. Steve, can we hear this clip? I see you all dressed up in the man's finery, drinking the man's wine, playing the man's game, using the man's fork and knife. Better to behave as a human than as a dog. I quite like dogs. In fact, I prefer them. Dogs aren't hypocrites. They don't lie. They don't lock each other up in cages. They don't pimp, poison. They don't go out of their way to degrade and destroy their own habitat. A naive reading of human history. It's the only reading of human history. The clip ends before Serge says, don't give me platitudes. <laughs> oh, man. This was really great stuff from Kingsley Benadir oh, so here. And I thought in addition to just the, the strength of the 
performance. I was. It's interesting that this is like in some ways much the same point that Fury is making, right? That humans can't find peace. They can't make progress. Their nature is to destroy and oppose. Our NATO guy, Serge, he has a lot of questions, right? And it was interesting to hear Gravik switch mm. to their native tongue for the next part of his pitch. This is when he's saying that Fury promised them and he knows that they were all there, right? So it means that everybody who's at that table, everybody who's on the council was back in that 97 timeline, part of that initial group who Fury brought in. You keep your word, I'll keep mine, but that never happened. No, Fury abandoned us. The humans cast us aside. I promise you, Earth will be our home because I will take it. And then he switches back to English to say, I think it's a war. I think it's a war. No, do it the right way, Mallory. Bang the desk. I think it's a war. <laughs> Ooh, that's, boy, <laughs> hurt a little bit. It reminds me of when I when I fist pumped Danny Kelly when the Ravens resigned Lamar Jackson and got like a shoulder contusion. Um, I'm so sorry that you just <laughs> splintered your bird bones. I really apologize. That oh, you should consider man. more. But more Joe, calcium. you feel how personal it is. Yeah. How personal it is for graphic. Fury yeah, abandoned right? us. Yes. Like, I think that. Again, I think if we think of this as like in bad dad terminology, uh, a theme mm-hmm. that you and I are quite familiar with, like yes. oh, yeah. this is a this is perfect rhetoric for that. Can you take us through the first but not the last exchange in the episode about the Avengers? Because they come up here. Our guy Serge brings up the Avengers. Thank you, Serge. What if? <laughs> What if they return, Joanna? I'm sorry. I was, I was about to say it. Okay, what if they come okay, back? Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Let me do it. Okay. Serge says, what if the Avengers return? And this is a fascinating line for us, right? Because we're like, yes. okay, this is confirmation that the Avengers that we've been, like the pseudo-Avenger gatherings that we've seen in the margins of various uh, films since Endgame have not been like official Avengers gathering. Like we haven't really had that past down to us as concrete information, right? That's fascinating. And then, especially given that we're building again to an Avengers, it's like, so what is going to be the thing that is going to officially Avengel the uh, Avengers again? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I mean, uh, something like (laughs) Kang, perhaps, who knows? But, um, and who's going to be the one to Avengel them, you know? Is it going to be still (laughs) Nick Fury or is it... (laughs) Is it someone else? Like, is it, you know, is Doctor Strange going to stop traveling the, you know, the cosmos with Charlize Theron long enough to do it? Who knows? But Gravik is like, you dummy, Serge. You think I haven't thought about that, right? He says, you don't think I've thought about that? Put your faith in me and I promise your loyalty will be repaid. And this is another hint we get towards the Super Mm -hmm. Scroll, uh, you know, plot where we've got... uh, not one, but two scientists named Dalton on the case, uh, you know, to right. turn the scrolls into super scrolls. Yes. Excited to talk about the super scroll lab shortly. We, I was, it was impossible, I thought, in the next sequence where Pam uh, steps up Pammy. and yeah. nominates Graphic for scroll general, not to think of 
our guy Palpatine. This was such yes. an unlimited power stretch. And this reveal that they were in cahoots, a literal chop to the throat for Surge. Brutal. The bending of the knee. They call this, sub. it's the call to, quote, submit. Yeah. That was inter- really interesting there, phrasing. There's been interesting phrasing throughout. Like, submit is one. Yeah. There's the harvest, which is capital, capital H, H, harvest. Capital H in the subtitles. Yeah, yeah, yeah like later. Harvest. So, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. I liked what was, because obviously we already are thinking about a division among the scrolls, which of course there would be. Why would every single scroll behave the same way, want the same thing with the the Talos and Gravik factions? But even inside of this group, then to see like the the fractures within the factions and how many different splinters, how many different goals and desires will there be? I hope that we learn some more about Shirley soon. I mean, obviously she has enough of a relationship with Talos from their time together, the council and whatever else to give him a call. He asked her to set up this meet. The other line though, before we leave the scene that I just really wanted to shout out was because Gravik is like impressed right when she makes this stand and it's clear that not a lot of people have the courage to challenge him in this way and he says if I had another hundred like you I could take on the universe I love love this line too and like go go in (gasps) peace sister right but like I think the um I think it begs the question did he send Shirley off, like knowing that she would go tell Talos, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Tell Talos, right. I want, to, I want him to know it was me. I want him to know <laughs> that I'll meet. <laughs> Platitudes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, let's go back to Terrorist HQ. Um, okay, are we gonna are we stick with Terrorist HQ, or do we want to go with something our listener Brad suggested, which is Chernobyl scroll? <laughs> Absolutely remarkable. <laughs> He's sure like no sure scroll. scroll for the name of the scrollerist yeah. mm-hmm. base. I scrollerist. Sure nope scroll is yeah, strong. Scrollerist yeah. is not as strong. Okay. Um, <laughs> but also our, our listener Nicholas had an interesting question about the uh location of Chernobyl scroll. <clears throat> he said, while watching <laughs> while watching Secret Invasion, I was thinking the scrolls probably chose the nuclear plant as their base because humans can't easily go there, right? Which offer them which offers them protection. However, skis, the people they kidnapped and who's I just would like to state for the record that Nicholas did not write however skis. And that needs to be made clear. <laughs> However, <laughs> You want to be boring about it. However, <laughs> the people they kidnapped and whose likenesses they took over are human. And as I understand it, they're yeah. being kept alive yeah. in special pods, fracking pods. Yeah. Does that fracking, get, get in the fracking, fracking pod? pod. Yeah. Does that mean they slowly become contaminated and will most likely die? I'm not sure how dangerous it is to stay at a nuclear plant that has presumably been shut down for a long time, <laughs> but it must be dangerous enough for humans to keep the scrolls secluded. Uh, Would the death of uh-huh. one of the people kept at the facility have any impact on the capacity of the scrolls who took their license like this to impersonate them i would be interested to hear what you think about this matter i think it's unlikely that something will happen to them because it would be sloppy of the scrolls to not consider the danger that radiation may pose to their hostages so i think that's a fascinating question um i that is interesting i don't i I don't think that like the death of the human body means anything to the scroll form presuming that like the harvest bond or whatever like yeah. Is a one time thing. I think the thing. only thing it, it shuts off is your ability to continue to like 
search the mind like a hard drive, right? I mean, in theory, they've absorbed everything already, but maybe there's some aspect of like navigating the connection while there's an active tether to the brainwave. And all of a sudden, like, Rhodey will forget what Nick Fury's favorite drink is. (laughs) (laughs) Still knew it was bourbon here. Unlike Uh Sonya. She knew. She just didn't want it. (laughs) Just the the, the bottom shelf Bottom shelf piss. It's still iconic. Um, you know, we do learn in the first episode that the reason they're using, uh, part of the reason they're using these plants is because they're off they're off the grid, right? Because they are dangerous yeah. to people, but they're not, the radiation's not dangerous to scrolls. I guess my, my feeling on this is like, <sighs> sure, some scrolls don't have ill intentions and aren't terrorists, but once you've put somebody in a fracking pod and have taken over their life, I don't really think you give a shit what happens to them. Well, I think you would only give a shit what happens to them if you, like, still need, like, because why keep them in the fracking pod otherwise? They're just, they're thumb drives for them right now. That's but, it, But right? I'm just saying, they're like, just data. if you've already downloaded everything, yeah, then you don't need to keep the body. But if you, if you need to constantly act, like, you know, right. plug in to mm-hmm. the drive yeah. to get more info then you need to keep those hosts' body alive. And if you need to keep those hosts' body alive... Has anybody checked alive, to see if the room they're keeping them in is like a really, really, really large version of the fridge from <laughs> Crystal Skull? This <laughs> <laughs> just completely protects you helping from... uh, Secret Invasion's case for you to compare it to the worst Indiana Jones movie. I'm excited to talk about Crystal Skull tomorrow. Can't Are we, wait. Um... Guess who's making the Can't guess wait. who's making the notes tomorrow? Me. So guess it, what we're not going to talk about? It will come up. It will come up at some point. <laughs> what? Oh, okay, yeah. so Joe, when they return to this power plant, Chernobyl scroll, yeah, Chernobyl scroll, <laughs> as those in the know have long referred yeah. to it. Uh, everyone cheers. Everyone cheers for Gravik. I thought this was interesting because we had that whole piece of the first episode that was like uh, uh most of the people here are just they seeking just refuge like not everyone's play, a warrior just but kids i who like guess to play, everyone loves yeah, murder they're just kids who like to play soccer and what is this round of applause cheer, for if not the bombing cheer uproariously <laughs> for the death of four thousand people it's it's just <laughs> this was really fucked up wasn't quite it quite sweet it's quite sweet actually <laughs> we just like to make scroll wine do you think the scroll vintners oh were there God. applauding murder and do you think do you think that's really in keeping with these sort of like Wine making, you know, viticulture in general. I don't think they applaud murder usually. <laughs> I don't know enough about winemaking. You did mention the the footy, the soccer. It's possible there was just like a great goal kick right out of you, and that's what they were cheering sure, for. Sure, you know? sure. And then when he when he a, says expertly executed, when corner, he says to that young woman who we've literally never seen before, like this is impossible right. without you. He meant the goal, the foot, the the football goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Getting on the yeah. board. Yeah. Can we talk about her for a second? I will. This is from the comics, so it's fair game. But just in case you don't want to hear something something from the comics, hit the fast forward, the fifteen second fast forward, uh, twice. We'll 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 keep it very fast here. So credited as Kriega, this is a comics character, but also a super scroll. So did you read this interaction as just a thing that Gravik says to to work the room, or as like okay, this is an important person who either is already involved in the super scroll initiative or is about to volunteer to. I mean, if it's if it's it, converted. It, I mean, it's just odd storytelling to like drop this person here and not let us know who she is, <laughs> and like, but given yeah. that she's credited, like, it has a name in the credits, like that seems like it matters. Yeah. Let me ask you the more important question: okay. <laughs> Do you think 
they call their wine Cabernet Sauvignon. Like, is that? <laughs> wow. I hope so. Or is it, or is, or do they have that? And then also Sauvignon Blanc. Like you can either. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. Here's where we're going next. Maybe not out of the Zoom, mm. but into the secret lab. Uh, I'm wondering if you think that uh, our guy, Pagan, who Gaia follows, and the Daltons, the Doctors Dalton, are in even more dire need of corrective eyewear than I am. Because <laughs> not since Anakin and Padme stood barely concealed behind a pillar in Revenge of the Sith has somebody done such a poor job of attempting to stay hidden from view and yet they have no idea she's in their secret lab. There were so many like consoles for her to crouch behind and then Naria crouched and like grant you Amelia Clark (gasps) is like one foot nothing you know what I mean like she's a very small individual but Kai you still gotta crouch a little like come on. Unbelievable. This was astonishing to me. Wild. Um, I also wanted to mention, Joe, you know, I noted last week that it seemed like an overt lie, like this idea of not being aware of who all the agents were. But this scene does cement for us, as does the subsequent computer scene. Like, there are things that Gaia does not that's know. True. So. But she still that's betrayed her dad. Something. <laughs> she still definitely yes. betrayed her dad last week, you know. <laughs> You know, Thor voice, families can be tough, right? Families can be mm-hmm. tough. Uh, what are the Daltons doing, Joe? What's going on in here? I believe, based on context clues, that they are hunting down DNA of various superpowered beings and things. They're looking for severed hands and, you know, branches and whatever they can find right um and and they're not having like a highly successful time of it right because rosa dr dalton uh, uh the the wife half of this duo i like that that her husband is completely silent but he is there dr dalton <laughs> she's like you don't have it and he says pagan says the harvest wasn't there uh and she's like our dna selection remains very limited and, like, we should be past this phase by now, right? And he says, Gravik yeah. has given me multiple locations for the harvest, all of them empty. And he says, our leader, right? Our leader is fallible. Like, he's not always right yes. about everything, which I thought was interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hinting at a little bit of a, a, a rift yeah. maybe between Gravik and, and Pagan. Do you want to talk about the, even though it's not the next scene, what Gaia discovers on the computer now and talk about the all the secret scroll stuff Once right here? again, terrible spycraft from Gaia, right? When, like, we'll... T- <laughs> Why is this computer so old? What? I mean, <laughs> Can I ask that? I feel like they were like, well, we're in Scroll Noble. This computer was here. Apparently, it survived a bunch of radiation. <laughs> Barely. Um, I mean, this was astonishing. And then all she has to do is type, like, I'm Dr. Rosa Dalton into the computer and she gets access to all the files. Yeah. Great stuff. Because, Rosa, if you're, like, in charge <laughs> of creating these super scroll machine and this level of innovation, I'd like to talk to you about your password protection. protection. Uh, (laughs) I would like a word, but I think it's really fascinating because Gravik was not like, why are you on this computer? 
right? He was like, uh, what are you looking up on this computer? So it's not a computer yeah, she's not allowed to have access right. to. It's just like these, yeah, their security is all over the shop, honestly. But uh, what are Mallory Rubin, the four pieces that Dr. Dalton has managed to acquire? So here's here's what we glimpse on this screen. We should say as context that the comics... Super Scroll power absorption is connected to the Fantastic Four, and so what the MCU who are not able genuinely to use the powers of the Fantastic Four in the show clever. have to do is stitch that together, which they have done in a pretty clear way in three out of the four of these. And the fourth one, I am slightly perplexed by. We've got Groot, our guy Groot. We get to see some of the familiar little terms on the screen here. It makes us think, I think, of the the Groot in the lineup on Xandar in the first Guardians film, seeing Planet X, yeah. Flora Colossus, et cetera. Um, can I briefly talk about something from the trailer? I know not everybody likes to hear stuff from the trailer, but it's out I, there. It's in the I trailer. So fast forward 30 seconds. dying to talk about this from the trailer. Let's okay. do it. Do you want to do it at the end of this or just right here in the Groot part? Maybe let's do it in like the Easter egg section. I don't know. Let's do it here. Okay. Skip ahead. Skip ahead. Is it a trailer? Skip, Skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. Gr- we see in the trailer graphic with these like super long extending Groot arms. 100%. So obviously they're replicating the Mr. Fantastic stretch power here, but like this is the Groot element yeah. of the Secret Scroll machine. So graphic takes the. Who do you think gets. Who do you think. Like, do you think Pagan <laughs> is going to like do Extremis or something like that? So this is the other thing I wanted to ask you is your read based on what we know from Comics Canon on what we've seen here so far that you're getting one of these or that they will be getting all of these powers? I think at least a few. Maybe not all. Yeah. Because I don't really know how much the Frost Beast will like help them at the end of the day. Right. Um, And like with the Harvest part too with that kind of coded exchange is that another power from another superpowered being that they want to get? Like a fifth element here or do they need more of what they have like is this like a Django Fett situation where you can run out of DNA at some point like I am not a geneticist nor a no evil scientist but okay so here are the other things we see Joe extremis Johnny Storm I love an Iron Man Extremis, 3 Iron Man 3, you're a huge yeah. Iron Man 3 head. You love uh, Aldrich Killian. You yeah. love AIM. You've always been a big AIM head. Big AIM head. Um, regeneration, healing, but also, as everyone who's watched Iron Man 3 will recall, uh, they become human bombs and they blow up. Stuff. Stuff. I want to talk about the Extremis thing when we get to the Sonya torture scene yeah. later. Have some, some stuff I'm eager to discuss there. We get a lovely little Earth 53 and Terra nugget here. The scrolls, of course, refer to uh, this as 53 back in Captain Marvel. Call Obsidian. So here's the thing. Here's- Call Obsidian back in the MCU never thought I'd see the day. Okay, but like you have to explain <laughs> to people who are listening what you meant by here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> this, this is the Call Obsidian is there to account for the thing. In capital the, T in the, thing. Sorry, yeah. In the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, this is the severed hand, right? That this is. And here's my Wong. question. From Infinity War. Why couldn't it be Ebony Maw? <laughs> you know Ebony Maw is my favorite. I know why. Because Call, Call Obsidian, oops, yeah, left his hand, hand and forearm bond. behind. Like, <laughs> uh-oh. Yeah. But 
if, yeah. if anyone, if any of Thanos's kids wants to come back, for me, it's Ebony <gasps> Ma or Bust, honestly. Well, who knows? The, the harvest continues, Joe. Who knows what, what awaits? Um, and then we have Frostbeast, you know. Love love to always think about Jotunheim whenever we can. And crucially, because of course we spend time on Jotunheim with a Frostbeast in the first Thor film. But where did they get this Frostbeast DNA, Joe? You know fucking where. The, the Dark World. Thor the Dark World. Thor the Dark World. Do you want to say it? Mal the Accursed. Yep, Mal the Accursed. Always relevant. <laughs> Should that be your secret scroll so name? Yet. If you're a secret scroll, can your name be Mal the Accursed? <laughs> yeah, that would be great, great. Honestly, I'll be I'll be Jotunheim. That will be my uh, uh, that will be my screen. Anything on the anything on what we see here, Joe? Anything else? No, I think it's extremely extremely clever for them to not only pick things where we can know if we decide to delve into it exactly where they might have picked up these little odds and ends and forearms of various superpowered beings but also to find things that mapped onto the fantastic four like that's that's brilliant except for sue storm that does not work that part's a little strange. It doesn't work. I'm trying to figure that one out <laughs> i think that's a, <laughs> the invisible woman and frost it's beast. a misdirect i think okay the rest of this scene with Gravik and Gaia at the computer is their discussion about loyalty. And this is where he mentions that they have a man on the inside who located Brogan, which made me wonder if Sonya is actually part of Gravik's hive, but we're not actually quite there in the episode yet. We have to go back. We have to rewind because we, we went out of order here. Rhodey. We're at Rhodey. Yeah, right. We'll come back to that. Rhodey enters the arena, Joe. 27 EU heads and the prime minister of the UK. Brexit, baby. <laughs> <gasps> oh boy uh i thought it was incredibly strange that this like world war three is brimming and it's nick fury's fault plot hinged on the idea that the entire world would switch its allegiance from america to russia because of this unity also, day attack in, this like, just doesn't make weird any sense little conference room like you know yeah. it didn't seem very grand at all um, also, why would we send Rhodey to yeah. this? Like, it's, I have a lot of yeah. questions. Um, yeah. The small room did allow us uh, to really appreciate the Italian prime minister's wonderful hair and the shade that Slovakia was throwing. So there's that. Yeah. There's that at least. Also, but the room was, Big the room was, really on the offensive. room was so small that when Rhodey put his hand over the mic to like say something to his assistant who was like equidistant behind him, I'm like, everyone can hear you make a really weird uh, carpet bomb like sort of reference. So, yeah. As Rhodey's leaving, yeah. Joe, Nick Fury calls him. Armani? Brioni. Brioni. <laughs> Asked to meet. Take us to Burner's Tavern. One o'clock. As we mentioned, Rhodey has a bourbon waiting, unlike Sonia. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, very bizarre exchange from the jump, right? Where Rhodey says, don't let the relaxed ambiance fool you. I'm this close to handing you over to the Russians. What? And then Fury says, forgetting right. your rank here, Colonel. It's like, it's... It's so bizarre, and and to the point you made last week, we don't know what Nick Fury like if the Avengers have been unavenged, right? Like, uh, and and Shield <laughs> yeah. has been dismantled. We do not right. understand Nick Fury or Maria Hill's designation at yeah. all. Like, yeah. we don't understand right. what who who are they beholden to. 
Where right. is all this? Like, what is Saber's yeah. connection to the larger military right. or government apparatus? But this whole, like, Nick Fury's crew is the official label for, like, the team that he and Hill were were running. It's just, that part is very strange. Find, Where's the, like, specificity? Exactly, and I find it, like, very weird that, like, you know, so Rhodey is, like, attempting to blame Fury, right? And he's like... You failed to stop the attack, nearly starting World War III, turn the allies against them. This is fascinating language because I went back and rewatched, mm-hmm. trying to figure out on our roadie, Izzyus girl thing. And like to your right. point about, I'm trying to honor your point about Endgame and consider it from a post-Endgame point of view. So yeah. I went back and rewatched, you, you're welcome, <laughs> Rhodey's scene <laughs> in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, specifically like the walk and talk with Sam, right? Yep. Rhodey says, the world's a crazy place right now. People are, well, nobody's stable. Allies are now enemies. Alliances are torn apart. The world's broken. Everybody's just looking for somebody to fix it. And Sam says, yeah. And Rhodes says, it's a new day, brother. I'll be in touch. So, like, honestly, that mm-hmm. sounds very scrolly to me. But, like, I think it's very interesting that, like, allies are now enemies. Alliances are all torn apart. Really echoes, like, what he says here to Fury, mm-hmm. right? About like you're turning our allies mm-hmm. against us. Like, if the scroll agenda mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. constantly to undermine and tear apart and pit against each other, Rhodey is certainly subtly and not so subtly pushing that agenda in all of the scenes that we've seen him in. So Yeah, absolutely. And another another bit of Rhodey is definitely a secret scroll evidence. I I, I think once again. I'll invoke Tony Stark, if you don't mind, if you'll allow it. Because when we get the Hydra, yeah, if Hydra was a bunch of green guys who could shift into your daddy exchange and and Fury thinks he's telling Rhodey about the scrolls for the first time and we learn that Rhodey knows, what do we learn about when he found out? He says he was briefed 15 years ago. Well, if this show's set in, in 2025, right, that puts us right before or right around the events of Iron Man 2. And... While I have no trouble believing that plenty of government officials, military officials, people in positions of power in the MCU would know about the scrolls or other aliens and keep it quiet, I don't believe. I mean, I just don't believe that Rhodey would have known this and not told Tony. And so, again, if we get to, like, how— how are the decisions potentially, if this really is Rhodey, impacting our view on some of the most consequential aspects of the mm-hmm. Infinity Saga? Tony's that up there, that's the end game, like cosmic obsession and the way that that connected to the Chitauri invasion and to the threat that Thanos posed. If Rhodey had been like, before that, by the way, there are aliens who have infiltrated our planet and they're all around us. That changes our understanding of how Tony is processing this information in a way that, like, really undermines a central part of the Infinity Saga. So I just think this has to be has another to be, bit of Rhodey as a scroll. Has to be a evidence, scroll. right? I I'm agree. hoping, at least. Uh, yeah, I hope that's true, too. And, like, also, the like, saying that invasion is real and it's happened, that's not possible. Like... Right. That's that's not possible. Yeah, he seems like he had been caught there. Also, he wants to call the Avengers, perhaps so that copy paste just the scrolls. I think it's so silly. This is such a problem always (laughs) with the MCU where I'm like, why aren't we calling all the heroes all the time everywhere? This is always a problem. And Mm -hmm. so for Mm -hmm. Fury to be like, 
We can't right. jump the gun on that. We get them to fight in the scrolls. The next thing you know, they find themselves duplicated and turn into terrorists. Like, uh, yes and no. And it just feels like a weird excuse not to involve whatever the Avengers are, the unevangeled Avengers are these days. But I think that um, yeah. I, 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 but what I do like is that that then feeds into this idea that, that Rhodey says later of like, only you can stop them. Right. Like, right. this is your mentality. Right. He, yes, when right. Fury calls it my yeah. war. Right. Yeah, because there's this, you know, a large part of this conversation that they share here is Fury appealing to, like, the things that they share, right? They're both black men. They've had to fight for their power. This idea that they owe something to each other. And when when Rhodey says to him, like, you're the only, you think you're the only one who can fix it, there's something in the contrast there between the appeal to, the appeal to be a united team here and the way that Fury is positioning himself as this solitary I want to agent. Talk, I want to talk about My that. war. I want to talk about this use of language here. Fascinating, honestly, to me. Maybe a coincidence, but I don't think so. So the use of brother in their exchange is, is, is Nick Fury's, attempt to appeal to that shared being black men in the halls of power sort of uh, thing that they have, right? And and uh, in that part that I just read from Falcon Winter Soldier, Rhodey called Sam brother as well, right? So Fury says, so let's make the power mean something, help a brother out, right? And Rhodey says, and you want to make the power mean something by helping a brother out and not to put too fine a point on this, but that mess you created in Moscow that resulted in getting one of our best people murdered, you earned all this smoke brother and the way that he like very caustically says like brother to him right i thought that was so interesting in contrast to the scroll council where they keep referencing the uh, multiple characters reference to each other as sister a prudent suggestion sister you go in peace sister you will not be harmed and i think what um i think that has to be intentional parallelism and i think what it is asking us to think about is like and I've said this on this podcast on any story that we ever talk about, who is the us and who is the them, right? Nick Fury is trying to establish an us relationship with Rhodey here. We are both, we are an us. We are both black men in the halls of power, like blah, blah, blah. And Rhodey's rejecting it. And he might be a human rejecting it, or he might be a scroll and be like, we actually don't have a shared history and you don't know that, you know, like sort of thing. And what I like about the scroll situation with Gravik, like even when when Shirley's like, "Fuck no, I'm not going to bend the knee." He's like, "Go in peace, sister." Like you're still one of us, yeah. and and it goes back to Talos right. not wanting to shoot the scroll last week. There is, I think, maybe perhaps mm-hmm. yeah. more unity in exile. No, not perhaps. There's more unity in exile than there is in being like, right. you know, the dominant species on a planet, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, and to that point, like the fact that obviously Talos has a deep personal investment in Soren's death because that was his wife, that was his partner, somebody he loved and shared his life with, but also, like, that specific aspect of the betrayal, like, you killed one of your own. Right, and and then... uh, Is clearly something that he's holding against Gravik as a a sin, a different type of sin. And the idea, I mean, like, this might, you know, as with most Marvel Disney Plus shows, this might end up with, like, a big Avenger-y fight with everyone sort of like souped up on on you know some super scroll juice or something like that possibly who knows but like I I, I would so you and I love you know ele- uh, conversations in elegant rooms like if it's conversation yeah <laughs> if it's 
a father and a, if it's Nick Fury and Gravik, a father and a son. If it's Talos and Gaia, a father and a daughter. If we bring it down yeah, to great. the familial level, I think that would be such a tremendous story and such a tremendous, you know, and and like uh, this is gonna be this is the only the first time I've referenced it, so I think that's pretty good for us. If you think about Andor and you think about those moments of Andor that mean so much to us, yeah. right? And it's like that's just love. You know what I mean? Like a moment like that right. where it's just sort of like a mother talking to her son. Those are the things that stick to your ribs, I think, at the end of the day. Um, yeah. The 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 espionage, I, I do want to just quickly circle back to that line from Rode to Nick Fury. The enemy is a million times more dangerous than Hydra, but they can only be vanquished by you alone. This really mm-hmm. does feel like that... Mm-hmm. Old school espionage, like yeah. only mm-hmm. I yeah. can take down this entire political structure or right. something like that. Yeah. And this is that, that what what follows after Rhodey fires yeah. him and Fury is escorted out and disarms the security guard. That is the bench sequence you mentioned earlier, where he is not only alone, yeah. but uncomfortable in that element. We see some other discomfort right after this in the episode, which is our guy Brogan getting his finger cut off. Borgen getting his finger cut off by Sonia. Uh, Didn't your mother ever warn you you could lose an eye by beating your meat like that? Olivia Coleman said this line on Disney Plus in the MCU when she walked into the butcher shop (laughs) to take over the operation. Give us us bees. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is just an unbelievable moment in our shared history together here. Remarkable it, stuff. Who? No, go ahead. Who do you think is on the phone that she hands over when she takes over the interrogation, convinces the men who are in the process of torturing to exit? Who do you think's on that on that phone, Joe? I don't have an answer for you. Who do you think? <laughs> Steve is like oh, absolutely your head no is idea. Horizontal at this one is the money. <laughs> It's just a picture of you like that. Head completely <gasps> Hold on. It's like I don't know. P- Putin? I mean, is it Putin? <laughs> is it James Bond? Is it Harrison Ford? Could it be Thaddeus Ross? Is it Val? Is it, I mean, it seems to be a man. But is it who knows? Ghost of Judy Dench as M. That would yeah. be great. Is it Ray Fiennes? It is Ray Fiennes. That's who it was. As Voldemort. <laughs> Not as M, as Voldemort. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Sonia's saying, let's party, shall we, after revealing <sighs> the true skull identity by cutting off the finger. Just just fantastic stuff. We already then talked about the next scene, which is the computer scene. What do you think about that our man on the inside, Gravik Tagaya line? Could it be Sonia, or do you think it's one of the other henchmen who was there who tipped off Gravik? I mean, I don't hate the idea of Sonia being a scroll, of Olivia Coleman playing a scroll here, but I don't understand yeah. how like the interrogation scene necessarily makes sense if she's working with yeah. Gravik. So she could be a scroll, yeah. but she would be a scroll with a different agenda. Which I think, yeah, either a different agenda or maybe testing the limits of their security. One of the things, in addition to that Gravik line and just her general like scroll vibes in some of these scenes. But again, kind of everyone is giving off that energy to some extent. The serum that she's using raises the temperature of the blood. Like, it makes the body boil. And we are right on the heels of seeing extremist tech as part of the super scroll power set. So 
that made me think, like, is she getting that from the Dalton lab? Is that, like, extremis in a syringe? Fascinating. So she's just testing Brogan to see if he'll... She already knows that it's the Daltons because she's actually a girl. Brogan. How many times have I said Borgen? <laughs> should it be I think Borgen it's, instead I think of like it's Brogan illegal that it's Brogan and Pagan. I think that should be I absolutely know. illegal. But don't worry, Brogan's <laughs> dead now, so it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, he before he dies, he does say that he won't talk and he doesn't actually reveal anything about the location, though he does say he's building a machine. I think it makes us stronger, which is, of course, a nod to the, the Super Scroll uh, tech. But the fact that he doesn't give away the location is germane because later when Gaia and Brogan and Pagan and Gravik are driving past the safe house and it's swarming and with yeah. authorities, we know that's not from what he told Sonia. So we have to deduce it's Gaia from her weird secret call in the alley. Super weird. I'm going to go behind the building and speak in unsubtitled Russian into a phone. (laughs) What a weird moment in this episode. Very strange. But that has to be what that was, right? She tipped off the authorities to the location of the safe house. Um... Do you want to talk about the fight? Like, the the infiltration of the, the butcher shop? I thought this was a decent fight sequence. I really liked and it. And I liked that Gravik was doing his, like, you know, young wolf, white wolf, Danny Targ. I'm, I'm not just leading a charge. I'm out on the front lines fighting with my my troops. You know, he's right there. I was... I, that was I'm, nice I'm to see. It. I'm for it. And I love, I love like, a... <laughs> in a... In a and a Marvel show, Marvel shows don't always give us the best fight choreo, but if you give it in like a nice tight space, yeah. we can usually like make it work. And so I thought this like whole meat yeah. locker situation is pretty cool. Yeah. Not quite as tight a space as the tunnel that Sonia flees into when she says, how very Dostoevsky, which was just frankly iconic. How very Dostoevsky. This is remarkable. We're done. We already talked about, we talked about, they take, they take Rogan to the woods. They shoot yeah. him. Everybody looks really suspicious of each other and very sad about what's ha- what has happened. We talked about the last scene, which is uh, Fury and Priscilla. We're done with the episode. We have our rapid fire. Crushed it. Easter egg wig watch. Okay. Subtitles and secret scroll, and then we're done. Let's do what it. was your favorite Easter egg? Oh, I got a shout out. We got a couple emails about this, actually, and I can't really go into it because it is a future Doctor Who. <laughs> it's a future Doctor Who spoiler Ooh. for you. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. But, uh, People want to shout out the Zygons from Doctor Who and how this scroll plot seems a little Zygony to them. So that'll mean something to you okay. in the future. I look forward to finding out what that means. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, my favorite was just the Groot Frosby's Coal Obsidian Extremis glimpses that we got on the computer screen. That was really fun. But I, I do feel compelled to pick Sonya's Crime and Punishment nod. That was incredible. Transcendent. Wigwatch. Okay. Wigwatch is essentially how. <laughs> Do you wear wigs? <laughs> I forgot about that. Wig watch is essentially hat watch at this point. Um, so Nick's, Nick Fury's spy fedora is just incredible work. But we do also have to shout out the return of the Nick Fury 90s CGI hair, which is always incredible. And then Amelia Clark is wearing a wig, and I'm not really sure why. So I will continue to monitor the situation. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I love when you're on the wig yeah. beat. Great stuff. Joe, if this show had Netflix subtitles, what would we have gotten this week? Frosty, unoccupied meat hook slips effortlessly into the fleshy neck of a hairless Russian goon like a hot knife sliding through butter. Goon dangles 
and starts to stiffen like so many sides of beef. Uh, this sounds sensational. <laughs> and this is, a, this is a real role reversal moment because I picked the same thing. Yeah. I picked the meat hook and the goon, but I was like, I've been going a little long yeah. with these. I'm just going to break out a classic protruding meat hook latches goon crunchily and squelchily. Yeah. I, I was like, I will match Mal's energy. Role and Mal was like, I'll match Joe's energy. Great. <laughs> Uh, if we were texting, this is where we'd send each other the little the, twin, the, dancing, yeah, the, twins the twins dancing emoji. Yeah. yeah. Secret scroll, Joe. Oh. Give us your top one or two actual contenders right now and your It's a House of Our Recurring Bits since Eternals contender. Oh, actual roadie number one. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. still putting Sharon Carter number yeah. two. It's a bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say... The Russian goon who grabbed his, like, dick and then asked someone to bring him a sausage because I don't think a human would do that. (laughs) Absolutely incredible. Uh, Rhodey's my number one. I'm putting Sonya at number two right now Mm -hmm. on my legit theory power ranking. Uh, My bit pick was going to be the Slovakian member of the EU summit who just keeps... making sounds but then I remembered that there's only one proper pick for this episode only one explanation for don't you be (laughs) one of those bastards who gives me (laughs) (laughs) so I will be going with Elizabeth Hill what other explanation is there (laughs) all right we did it we made a pod if we had another hundred like you we could take on the universe in the meantime that's a wrap thank you to our council member, Steve Allman, back with us today, producing this episode. Arjun Ram Gopal for his additional production work on this episode, and Jomia Deneron for his work on the social for this episode. Please head back into the Ringiverse tomorrow for our House of Midnight Dial of Destiny pod. Check out Jessica's Easter egg breakdown of Secret Invasion episode two over the weekend. Dive into The Witcher with the Mint Edition crew on Monday, and then come back for more Secret Invasion talk next week. Until then, remember, you don't punish a pod by giving it what it wants. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.